This podcast is brought to you by Grandpa Still Remembers. Grandpa Paul's practical parables are part of his real-life experiences. What is learned from the life we live has a lot to do with the perspective that defines our priorities. What is remembered is colored by our perception of the purpose for which we have the privilege of living in the first place. The First Farm Wedding Though we had just evacuated Zaire, we had a desire to return there, to do whatever we could to serve our God. After arriving back in the States, we had been assigned by the mission to help at the AIM Retirement Center in Florida. We marveled at how God had cared for every detail while we worked there. When evacuating, Ellen had managed to carry with her her Bible, her cookbook, and some colorful Kitengi material bought in Bunya for Debbie's August wedding. Now we were headed back to our farmhouse in New York because Ellen and Debbie decided, since we were already here, why not have an earlier May wedding? Her older sisters had their weddings in a Cooperstown church, but Debbie wanted her ceremony to be here at the farm on the front lawn. She decided to use the back lawn for the reception, as had her twin sisters four years earlier. Alan loved the out-of-doors and camping, so his side of the family planned to have the rehearsal dinner by a big campfire near the lone ash tree on the side hill. They would serve foil dinners. This would truly be the first farm wedding. There were four wedding dresses in the cedar chest in the attic over the kitchen. There were banquet formals and bridesmaids' dresses hanging under the plastic coverings in the closet off the purple room. When the farmhouse was full of cousins, the girls inevitably got into the dresses to try them on and to dream of their own wedding someday. When they called their mom to come see, stating that they were all ready, Ellen always reminded them they needed first to find a man who loved the Lord above all else, one they could love, respect, and obey their whole life. Even the little ones loved to try on the high heels and clop unsteadily around, so beautiful and something that wouldn't fit for years. You aren't ready yet, she'd say. The girls always said that their mom knew how to sew and could adjust the dresses to fit perfectly, and she could. Debbie was ready. She had found her Alan at Houghton College, first getting to know him as part of a group of Christian friends. We were invited to join the group and supply the picnic at Letchworth State Park, not far from the college. Debbie needn't have worried. Her mom knew how young men could eat, especially after a game of touch football. They all loved each other and loved the Lord. She had written often of her fun with the group. Ellen had noticed that she mentioned Alan more and more often. She was getting to know him. Ellen invited all of them to visit us at the farm. I would drive over to get them, and they could stay a weekend with us. Ellen's dad loaned me his Toyota Camry station wagon. There were seven of us in that overloaded car. Debbie was able to fit on the floor in the front of the back seat, and Ellen was behind that seat with the luggage. 
Alan read a couple stories from Patrick McManus's book, Real Ponies Don't Go Oink. The four-hour drive passed quickly. Their wholesome interaction in the hammock and in the pile of leaves from the maple trees out front was reassuring to see. They appeared to be fully enjoying the cool fall days in the country at the beautiful place God has given us. With all of us living together in the old farmhouse, we got to know Alan better, too. When Debbie and Alan had visited us in Zaire a few months before we evacuated, one of her priorities was to share her special memories with him. The shopping trips to replenish dorm supplies was part of each vacation month, and Alan went with us. Starting on the 100-mile trip to Bunya at 4 a.m. and riding five hours in the open back of a three-ton Isuzu truck was the first part of the trip. We planned to arrive mid-morning in order to find out what was available, what were the current prices, and to calculate how much money we needed to fill our order. We then bought money from the field treasurer and returned to town to buy and load as much as we could that afternoon. At night, we went to the Greek Club, the only restaurant in town. I had pre-ordered for us in the middle of the afternoon. When the cook knew how many chicken and shish kebab plates to prepare, he sent someone to buy the ingredients at the marketplace, including the live chickens. The cabbage salad was standard, as were the oily fries cooked as the Greeks like them. Squeaky cheese was extra, fried in a hot pan, slightly browned and served hot. How could Alan ever have known what that was without that trip to Bunya? Coke bottled in Zaire has its own special taste. Alan was getting to know us. The Rondos, our close friends who had worked with us for years at Rady, put us up that night, and we kept the partially loaded truck in their walled compound. We spent the morning going from store to store, purchasing what we could to complete our load. With our passengers in the hot afternoon sun on top of our three-ton load, we began the trip back to Rady. This is when we stopped at the market for Debbie, her mom, and Alan to select the colorful kitengi material for the wedding. Debbie chose to wear her grandmother's satin dress with a slim waist and a long flaring train. The intricate lace sleeves reached to her wrists, matching the soft accents on the front. Ribbons of lace with the same detail flanked a long row of tiny bead buttons on the back, leading to the edging on the train. Her mom could do the sewing, but what would they do about approximately a hundred tiny satin-covered metal buttons that had rusted? They would replace them all. Those buttons weren't sold anywhere, but some of the same size that fit through the loops were found. The new ones were too white. Debbie stained each one by painting them with two coats of fairly light-colored tea to match the rich satin. The dress was gently washed by hand to remove all the evidence of the wedding where it had first been used more than sixty years earlier. The dress was modified with love, and the matching hat and veil adjusted to fit. The kitenge material was sewn into the bridesmaid's dresses, 
cummerbunds for the men with bow ties to match. Some was used to decorate the cake table. God was giving a very special wedding to Debbie Nellad, prepared with love, using things that could not be purchased. And Debbie may have been thinking how much she knew her dad liked pie, so she and her mom made dozens of pies in that old double oven range. Debbie made and elaborately decorated a small two-layer cake as a centerpiece. The upper layer was supported by small white pillars and had the traditional bride and groom cake topper. Ellen had saved wedding stuff in the attic, and Debbie had found everything she needed. The Wilsons, with whom she had stayed during her practice teaching after Houghton College, wanted to do all the catering for her. She and Ellen had become very special to them. We paid for the food, but the Wilsons did the purchasing, the preparation, and provided oversight to care for the many details. Flowers in abundance, gladiolas galore, and hanging baskets of petunias were delivered from the Ingalls Farm in Cooperstown. The front and backyards were filled with flowers. They had come to love her during her summer working with them at their farm and greenhouse and loaned her an unsurpassed display of flowers for the day. Her dad created a triple Gothic arch background for the ceremony, which had flowers woven into the white latticework. Our neighbor obtained a load of purple and white lilacs to decorate the tables and to be carried by the bridesmaids. The blooms on the lilacs around our house and in front of the barn were just starting. However, Rick Morris had a friend in Herkimer where the lilacs were in full bloom. Alan's family loved campouts and outside cooking. A favorite was foil dinners. The ones they made had all the fresh-cut vegetables, peppers, onions, tomatoes, potatoes, and hamburger patties laid out for each to assemble and spice and add cheese to taste. Some of us made the meal too large or cut the foil too small, but we all had a great time learning from the Arms family how to do it right. The bonfire we had made of broken barn beams and boards had burned down, so the deep bed of coals and hot ashes was as requested. Simply tossing the foil package in the fire and fishing it out with a shovel worked, but some of the meal added fragrance to the fire if the foil split. We ate the rehearsal dinner on the hillside near the ash tree. Some sat on the huge immovable shell rock, some on the picnic table benches, and some on the old barn beams I had dragged up there with the ford. To look out on the immense variety of shades of green on the trees and fields was a special gift from God displaying the spring colors he uses to clothe the countryside. To sing praise to him, looking down on the guests' tents and campers on the field below was fitting. It had been a beautiful day of preparation. I doubt any wedding has ever had a similar rehearsal dinner. Our rehearsal actually went smoothly. The pastor from Allen's church had done this before and gave instructions clearly. The photographer, Debbie's brother Tim, decided on the best vantage point for the various pictures. Everyone knew when they were to come down the porch steps and where they were to line up. 
Debbie and her little brother Jeff were so close she decided that he would stand up with her and take the place of a maid of honor. What all of us will remember and talked about on the hill near the campfire that night was the reaction of little Caleb as he learned his job. Two of our grandchildren were just old enough to make a perfect flower girl and ring bearer. Kirsten, as she walked along, dropped the flowers on the grass and did just fine. But during the rehearsal, Caleb saw no reason to carry a little pillow with a ring sewn on top to those strange people watching him. Soon they were all motioning for him to come. It must be some kind of trap. What was this thing they gave him? His uncle Jeff Wilson squatted down and held out something. Caleb knew gummy worms. He tossed the little pillow to one side, didn't walk, but ran to get the red worm being waved at him. Rehearsal was a great success and never so much enjoyed. Everyone, including the preacher, was laughing together. Debbie's wedding day morning offered challenges that can only be imagined when a century-old farmhouse is shared by 19 family members with 15 more in tents outside in the five-acre hayfield just north of the house. There is one shower in the tiny bathroom downstairs and none in the half-bath upstairs. Each has a mirror. There are mirrors attached to several of the dressers. Clearly, there had to be a lot of sharing and thinking of others to be all ready in time for the wedding. I think we saw that day a little more of what real love is all about. The photographer was ready early and captured a picture of a chipmunk hiding under one of the empty chairs before the guests arrived. He also discovered that climbing up in one of the maple trees offered him a special perspective to capture memories for his sister. He did that well and also helped decorate Alan's and Debbie's car that rattled tin cans on the country road when they left for their honeymoon. Camping somewhere, I think. The Doubleday Courier from Cooperstown had the headline, Homespun Garden Wedding, Deb and Alan Arms, May 3197. It was displayed on the gift table in front of the house. It was the first wedding at the farm, maybe homespun in a way, but totally dedicated to honoring God. You've been listening to Paul's Parables, stories conveying a spiritual lesson from the perspective of a foreign culture.